The Way Out Podcast, episode 299. Welcome to The Way Out Podcast. What's your name? Vincent Garrett. Vincent. Table 28. But y'all don't know nothing about that out there. Uh, what, Vincent, what was your substance of choice or DOC? Um, My drug of choice was heroin, cocaine, alcohol. I mean, really, it was anything and everything <laughs> but yeah in the end that's what i was using primarily gotcha and what is your recovery date if you keep track september 12 1999 99 yeah boom i was 19 <laughs> <laughs> i was what 23 24 23 wow so you found recovery early in your life man that's awesome yeah I try to say I don't regret nothing, but it, I got to admit, like it would be, it would have been cool to see how different life would be today if I would have changed so much sooner. Vincent, how do you serve the recovery community, sir? Uh, over the years, I've done a lot of service, um, just like straight active service. Over the past few years, though, um, especially since the pandemic hit. I haven't been of service. Um, when the pandemic hit, I was the secretary of, or not secretary, I was the treasurer in one meeting and um, a member of another one. I wasn't a treasurer there. Then I was a treasurer of my home group. So I was doing a lot of treasuring um, <laughs> of our <laughs> funds. But uh, since the pandemic hit, everything just kind of stopped and I haven't picked back up since. I've been um, trying to engage in some other things in the community. So now what I do is uh, make myself available to addicts, especially newcomers. And um, I'm actively looking to, to start a, a 501c3 to have um, like an Alano club or something, uh, recovery. I'm hearing this new thing about recovery cafes. We don't have any here in Oakland. I'm in Oakland, California. So uh, we had one. Well, we had a couple. They were tied to AA, but we have nothing that's just open to the recovery community in Oakland. So right, because there's so many ways to recover. There's so many people that recover different. It's not mm -hmm. all one cookie cutter way, right? Well, that sounds exciting. I hope that works out for you and you can get that off the ground and that you get a good response from the community because it sounds like there's definitely a need there. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. And then uh, just one last intro question for you. What does recovery mean to you? Mm. Just off the top, an act of change in our thinking and behavior. That's mm. uh, in a literature. I don't, I don't remember the exact page and book and all that type of stuff because it's been a while but um that one resonated for me because over the years that's what's what has happened I, i've been able to change my thinking and my behavior yeah. um and in fact it's not even behavior it's an act of change in thinking and attitude see i need to read my literature more <laughs> i feel you <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah i mean my attitude has definitely changed over time where i came in super self-centered super self-seeking um just self-involved and in, in 
you know, the fellowship that I joined kind of helped me get out of that and to learn to look at myself and, and not be so all about me, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I approach just about everything. I mean, I'm taking care of my grandmother. Uh, that's the show is about me, 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 me. Now it's about her, 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 her. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> take care of my children and have grandchildren. So, uh, yeah, I, I believe that recovery is an act of change in thinking and attitudes, for sure. I know it was for me. Absolutely. And it continues, right? It's always evolving and changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't for a second allow myself to think that, you know, I've reached the peak and, you know, now I just need to maintain it. Because mm-hmm. if I start thinking mm-hmm. that way, dude, I, I don't even want to know what's going to happen. I've learned enough from hearing enough of these stories, especially in the rooms where it's like, you know, nobody's exempt, dude. Nobody is immune from slipping back into those old thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes and Mm -hmm. and behaviors. And that's where it starts, right? The thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes to your point. And then it can just snowball into a bunch of dumb When she say it's over. That's a great point. Because relapse happens way before you pick up. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees, in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, 
the finest recovery podcast co-host in all the land, had the distinct pleasure of talking with Vince Garrett. And as you all will soon find out, they had a ton in common. This commonality is no more evident than when they delve into the depravity that intravenous drug use brought out of them in their respective active addictions, such as the insane, reckless things they were capable of just to feed the proverbial monkey on their backs. On the flip side, Jason and Vince also discussed the tremendous blessings that came from finding a safe space to share and how the God of their respective understanding works in the most unexpected ways. Without question, this discussion goes unflinchingly deep into the dark spaces and unapologetically into all of the light places. So listen up. Hey everybody out there in way out podcast land. I am your trusty co-host Jason. I got with me here Vincent Garrett from table 28 at the Mobilized Recovery of 2021. What's up, Vincent? All right, table 28 is in the building. Dude, I know. I still need to get all those guys on here. It's been a crazy year so far. I swear it's flying by. It's almost time for freaking them to do this bus tour mobilized 2022 i'm like what the hell where did the time go <laughs> right it's crazy it's like a few months away <laughs> yeah so vincent before we get started why don't you give us our listeners a little brief introduction of yourself and we'll go from there Okay. I don't know if I froze up on you, but you froze up on me. So I am going to stop the video. I might be using too much bandwidth. Make sure we don't have that problem. Um, yeah, for sure. I want everything to be seamless. And for the podcast, I know you all are hearing my voice. So, um, But yeah, my name is Vince. Uh, well, I go by Vince, Vince G in my area. And um recovering addict, recovering from uh, a lot of different drugs, <clears throat> seemingly hopeless state of mind and being, and uh, was able to get clean at a really young age and, and turn my whole life around. Um, glad I surrendered young. I, I was 23 when I got clean, so, and I'm um, coming up on 22, 23 years. <laughs> Imagine wow. that. Okay. Yeah. Coming up on 23 years. I'm 46 now. So I pretty much grew up in the program. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I came in, I, I was in, had been in and out of jail and prison for like from 18 to 23. Like soon as I turned 18 in October, November, I was <clears throat> on my way to the local County jail. And that started a process of me going in and out of jail and prison and I, I could not stop it until I got clean. So that goes to show um, I can't manage when I'm using. I, I definitely couldn't manage drug diversion and probation and parole. So, yeah, yeah, I thank God that I found the rooms and was able to get clean. Amen, bro. And it's so cool. I got to say, you know, even you know around here when i see some really young cats coming in 
uh, and getting this thing right. You know, it it all starts from that spark of hope, but then it's like to see them really turning it around and and being of service and helping other people, man, and becoming like this beacon of light. You know, it's like it's really awesome to see these young dudes and ladies doing this. I love that because we don't we we have a little belief here, you know, on the whale podcast that there is no such thing. There is no bottoms in recovery. Like you, your bottoms when you stop digging. You know what I'm saying? Like that. Yep. If if that wasn't the case, then nobody would be recovering and still have two cars in the garage and you know a job and a wife and kids. You know at home and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people do. People do turn it around without having to hit some crazy, you know, low bottom. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's uh, one of them things that's just become this kind of like a misconception, but it became widely spread where people feel like, Oh, I don't think I've hit my bottom yet. Like, I don't know who told you, bro, that you need to hit some crazy bottom to get better, but that's garbage advice. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. it's just not the case. You can pick it. You can decide to change your direction at any point, man. So yeah you did you got clean young bro that's cool i'm like not that much younger than you dude and i'm only coming up on six years this summer so (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah better late than never man um hell yeah it's never too late i just hit hit bottom real fast man because i i was i don't know if i was still using i'd probably be dead by now because i was shooting dope at the end yeah. So, um, and I had burnt out veins. I only shot though for like a year. I'd already burnt out veins in my arm, was yeah. shooting in my neck. And uh, I just, I don't know. I can't see myself doing that for the next 10 years, let alone 20 years. No shit. Like, where would I have been? Um, wow. Yeah. Well, before we get into all that, because it, it's always good to, explore the the depths you know but before we do that let's let's talk about what it was like growing up you know when when you were a kid and you know get a little bit of family history type of stuff first yeah i grew up in um east oakland uh born and raised out here um my mother and father split when i was real young so uh, but, I, you know, my father's always been around. He just wasn't really as active as he should have or could have been. Mm. Um, he's clean today and he feels a lot of guilt behind that type of stuff. But, you know, it yeah. is what it is. But, yeah, him, my mother, like my whole family got caught up in the, the crack era in the 80s. And, uh, and I, like many other um youngsters were living with our grandparents and so it just kind of caught our community off guard um everybody was using then there's a lot of angry teenagers running around Uh, i kind of came of age in in this um so when i became what like grown 18 or now let's go back because i had some abuse there too physical abuse from my stepdad and uh, I ended up running away and, and um, 
finding my mother. She was at, at my aunt's house, which was the crack house. Mm. And uh, I stayed there with my cousins for like a summer. But it had a strong influence on my life because I had never lived in those kind of conditions right. before. And so it just had an indelible effect on me uh, over the course of my addiction and, and, and my life in general. And a lot of this stuff didn't come up until I got into the step work and, and really start digging for it. And then I start remembering things start to surface. Yeah. And so I understand the importance of uh, working the steps and also going to meetings because going to meetings, you hear other people share their experience, strength and hope. And then as they share, it opens up things. It reminds me of things that happened in my life that I may have stuffed or repressed or just straight up forgotten. And it kind of jogs loose those memories like, oh, damn, I went through that, too. OK. Um, so I stayed there uh, with my aunt for a summer and then went and moved with my grandmother. And my grandmother wasn't she wasn't ready. Uh, we, we weren't ready. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm coming in as a teenager and. And I got a little trauma going on um, that I, I don't know. She was a church person. So she was like, go to church. Jesus will, will, will fix it. That type of thing. And so, yeah, she got me uh, going to church. She gave me my um, first consciousness of a higher power and, uh, and, and just gave me a higher power. But it was an angry, controlling God. So I didn't really learn to establish a relationship with that. I didn't even know about that concept until I got clean and heard that I can find the God of my understanding. And yeah. that, that really helped because I, I needed a loving, caring guy because I was always doing stuff. Right. Always doing stuff to piss God off. <laughs> so yeah. It was like, you know, I don't want a relationship with God because, you know, when he catch up to me, you know, I got an ass whooping coming. So, right. <laughs> um just just so anyway let me go back so anyway going to church um that was helpful in, in establishing something that there's something out there bigger than myself that can help me but uh she took me to get my hair cut and the barber was a, a pedophile and we for sure wasn't ready for that and uh, he prayed on me um, and it, it was a whole process of to how he did that, that we didn't know the signs of. And if you haven't been through it, you probably won't know the signs of, or what to look for uh, or to even understand what's happening. Right. But because that, you know, because I was molested by this man, I felt like something was wrong with me. Yeah. And I internalized a lot of that. So it, it, it just it added another level of trauma, another level of confusion, another level of of uh, coping skills that I developed to deal with that. Right. And those skills were being promiscuous. <clears throat> and so um, out here, um, you know, it's the crack era in the 80s. They got all these grown women out here prostituting themselves for drugs in my neighborhood. And so, and then I was selling drugs. So I, I start indulging with these grown women as a teenager. Right. And, um, 
And so, you know, I grew up fast with that. I, I ended up having a, I, I got a girl pregnant. I was 16. She was 13. And I had my first child at 17. Um, he's 29 now, about to be 30. <laughs> Damn. It's like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, wow, I got a 30-year-old. Right. <laughs> um, and I have two grandchildren uh from him, um, seven and six, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, seven and six. And so, <clears throat> you know, I me and my son basically, and, and his mother, we all kind of grew up together because we were kids. And, you know, I, I felt like, okay, I got to be a man and take care of my son. So let me sell dope. <laughs> it wasn't a, you know, going to get a job wasn't even in the plans. And right. as soon as I turned 18, I, I got caught with some drugs and off to jail I went and then caught up in the mass incarceration pipeline um, in and out of jail every time I turned around. And the more I went to jail, the more I began to use, um, the more I used, the more I would go to jail. So it just became a vicious cycle until I got clean. And um, that's why I got clean young, because I hit bottom young. Um, Yeah, I decided to stop digging at the going in and out of prison, being homeless, eating out of garbage cans. It was like, okay, I got to find something else to do with my life. I don't know what that something is, but. It's got to be better than this. No shit, right? You know, I think there's so much about your your story, dude, that I can, like, relate to on a personal level. You know, it's like being sexually abused as a kid really fucked me all up. You know, like I was angsty. I didn't understand. I think I blocked it out for many years. So then I was having, like, these fucking weird dreams that were making me feel like I was fundamentally like just twisted up, you know, like I didn't know if I was like some kind of freak or if I was like the victim in these dreams, like it was kind of like weird. And I had to finally told my mom because it was so disturbing. It went on for so long. And that was when I got enlightened to what had happened to me, but it was like, That being said, you know, just everything you're talking about, right? Like trying to find all these different ways to escape and, uh, you know, being promiscuous, not because I really, I mean, I just wanted to fucking like, you know, explore my body and like my desires and like figure out that part of myself because I was, I had no idea, you know, what was going on. And then it had, a, I had two kids when I was super young, like you were saying, you know, but mm. I think I had my first kid when I was 18. Um, I think the only difference is that I didn't recognize, like, I, I just fucking like burnt every bridge. I ended up getting estranged from my kids. And then that just fueled my shit, you know, like more the self-hatred and all that and mm. the need, the need to numb it. And it's like crazy how you can like hear some, you know, sit and talk to somebody and hear them explain their story. And it's like, well, you know, you're telling my story kind of, you know, kind of deal. But I'm, I'm like sitting here cheering you on though. 
as you're telling it because I'm like, hell fucking yeah, you know, like you turned it around and you were able to be a dad, you know, and I never was. Like, I don't know my first two kids, you know. I I left with them when they were one and three. (laughs) That that took a lot of work, you know, to get over, but I digress. Mm -hmm. But yeah, man, I just, I really, I'm feeling what you're saying. Feeling it. Yeah. And uh, that is like the therapeutic value of these um, these meetings, these groups and dealing with other recovering people, man. They, they share their experience, strength and hope, and you just identify with it and you're able to heal from yours based on that. Because I, I was for sure was repressing pressing that stuff i mean it was like in the back of my mind that that this had happened but i I was trying to just pretend like it didn't happen until i started going to some meetings and then hearing other other men sharing it and their experiences were worse than mine i'm like wow okay yeah and uh i was really impressed with the bravery of uh other recovering addicts that were able to share that that type of stuff on a group level too yeah, I'm like, oh, I go to my grave with this, but being that they were brave enough to do it, gave me a little bravery to speak up and say something. And then to dig deep when I finally got a sponsor and start working the steps. Yeah. So it's all, it's all helpful, man. The shit works for real. It's like, I would, I honestly would have fucking never believed you if you told me that I could, that there was healing to be had, you know, like I just thought, the wounds are there and they're always going to be there. And they were honestly too painful to touch. You know, if somebody wanted to, or if somebody was talking to me about something like that, you know, and it brought it to mind, I might mention it like very like vaguely. And then I would get all fucked up and stuff about it. And then I would shut down. Like I I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to get on any deep level with it. And I sure didn't even like the fact that I was starting to feel any, anything, you know, related to it. And I think that when we try to suppress it, like you said, it's just like it grows, man. It just it's like it festers mm-hmm. and grows inside of you like yep. crazy huge when all you got to do is like expose it to the light and it loses its power over you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's ironic. <laughs> it is, man. I'm so grateful though that we have the ability, you know, and that this there's these communities are out here and they're everywhere, worldwide. You know, we can go anywhere and find a meeting and there's family, you know, it's family. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yep. Yep. I've been all over the country. Every time I touch down in the city, I try and go to the first meeting I can. And get a get a feel for the the people, the real residents, <laughs> not where the tourist stuff is, but where the real people live. Right. And uh, I tap in and and um and get connected immediately. Don't waste any time. And then next thing you know, if I come to the city again, it's like got these people who become friends. Yeah. Yeah. Family, you're home away from home. Oh, yeah. Like I had a home group in uh, New Orleans because I go out there a lot, and uh, because I have family out there, and so 
I would hit this one meeting all the time, and that became my home away from home group. <laughs> so, yeah. and uh, and it's cool. It's cool to have that, have that um, connection with other people around the world. Like I haven't left the states yet, but I know when I do. First thing I'm going to do is hit a meeting. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome. Yep, there's never a shortage of people that you can add to your network in this recovery life. That's for sure. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you had kids young. Mm-hmm. What happened? What happened from there? From that point. Yeah, I um had my son in '93, and then I started going in and out of jail, uh, like in the end of '93 and '94, and then you know I went to prison in '95. So over the next few years until I got clean in '99, I was just in and out of jail, in and out of jail, and uh, I started shooting dope in like '97. But, you know, when I did the math, I was only out for like a year in a two year span. So only shot dope for like a year. But I did a lot of physical damage uh, to myself. I burnt out veins and, um, you know, because of my drug use, I wasn't aware of that. You're dealing with uh, you're dealing with the intravenous system and all this type of stuff <clears throat> that you got to be very clean and very, you know, precise in what you're doing. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't, <laughs> I just really wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. Right. So I, um, I, I ended up getting sick behind shooting dope. I got, uh, trying to remember what it was, a pulmonary infection or something. I think it was, and I, it put me down for like four days. Um, and then because of that, there was some scar tissue that lies in my optic nerve or retina or something. It, it ended up detaching my retina. Damn. I have visual problems to this day. Um, visually impaired because I'm only working with one eye. Oh, uh, shit. Yeah, I, I just, you know, had I known, I probably wouldn't have been, you know, using drugs like that or or I would have made an attempt to be more cleanly. I mean, I, I think I know what it was. It was dealing with a friend who. Well, I don't want to get all into it because I, I got to get into into details, but um, let's just say we, we were beating some cottons. Uh, for those who shoot dope, know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, and those cottons had been in his pocket, and his in his pocket, he's he was a panhandler, so he's picking up stuff off the ground, putting it in his pocket, getting changed, putting it in his pocket. I didn't even think about that till I got clean and, and was trying to remember <laughs> what did I do, and was right. like, damn, <laughs> I was with I was with him, and he had those damn cottons in his pocket. Man. And we beat those cottons with all this dope in it. He was still the um, cottons uh, were full of dope from his dad. His dad shot dope. Yeah. And uh, he would save them just in case he needed them later. And 
but they were in the, that nasty ass pocket. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, uh, I could have got a whole lot of stuff. Hep C, HIV. Right. Uh, I wasn't really shooting behind people, but I wasn't really clean like I should have been. <clears throat> um, thank God for the needle exchange, though, because mm. um, I was able to start exchanging the needles for better needles. Like I, when I would reuse a needle, they would be dull. Yep. And that's why I collapsed the veins in my arms. And so um, being able to exchange the needles, I was able to not do that with the veins in my neck because I started shooting in my neck. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I couldn't imagine doing that. I've heard people who've done that for like 40 years. I'm just like, damn. Yeah, I know. Years. Every day. Jeez. Yeah, <clears throat> it's it's fucking a trip to think of because I had the same issue you're talking about, you know, like my veins couldn't take it, uh, you know, and who knows, probably a plethora of reasons. I mean, I can remember, you know, having the same fucking four or five syringes and always carrying around, you know, getting matchbooks from the gas stations and trying to sharpen them with my matches, you know, and mm. um, we had a place called woman with a point that was the only needle exchange in Minneapolis at that time. This was, you know, in the late nineties. Uh, but yeah, that place was a freaking lifesaver. You could go there and they'd hook you up, you know, like they'd take your dirty shit and dispose of it properly and give you, you know, clean works and, mm. you know, everything that you would need to go with it, tourniquets yep. and all yep. that stuff, alcohol pads. And, you know, so like you said, so you can be clean, but, you know, you can't, I mean, you think about some of the crazy shit people do, right. When they're getting high, you know, the, the crimes that they're willing to commit, the, the people that are willing to screw over, it's, it's just insane. And, that's that's no different when you need a fix or you know like i'm down to fucking sit there and try to soak up a few of your fucking old cottons if you know they got a bunch of shit in there or or like do your rinse out of your spoon or whatever you know like i didn't give a fuck i was just like it's better than nothing right and i wanted to feed the monkey so <laughs> you know yeah. Um, I look back on that shit, man, and like sharing needles, did that, and I'm I'm lucky I never caught no, uh, yeah, none of that shit, Hep C or HIV, man. I I definitely could have, you know, and um, I I never knew that drugs could do shit like that though with the retinol displacement thing or or like uh, my friend uh, Kay, she she lost her hearing from opioids. Like it fucking totally, like she went totally deaf. She had to get like coke, some like kind of implants in her ear. I can't remember the word cochlear implants or something like that. Uh -huh. She, we, I just had her on the show recently, not that long ago, but yeah, she was immobilized. Um, I was like, what? She told me that. I said, I didn't know that could happen, but crazy what what the shit we put in our body <laughs> and then you know back then too i never wanted to take like anything else i hated taking like medicine you know like 
mm-hmm. as if that's worse for me than you know all the crazy chemicals that they use to process these drugs that I was doing off the street and shit, mm-hmm. or what those dealers are cutting it with, you know. That part, yeah. You have no idea what you're putting in your body. No. No. And, and it's funny you say that because, uh, yeah, I got a, a bad batch of dope when I was selling dope. Um, I don't know what they cut the stuff with. They, they said something, but the dope was red. And this was like tar heroin. supposed to be dark black brown. And uh, I don't know what they cut it. F- I forget what they cut it with, but I was just like, damn, they cutting it with that? <laughs> why, why would they do that, for one? And then who who does that? Right. It's just nuts. They don't care. You know, they just want to uh, make more money. If they can double the weight or, you know, add, add a bunch of weight to it, whatever. Give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And I ain't even lying, dude. Like, I used to do that with meth, you know, like get a bunch of B12 and basically selling people junk dope. But, you know, I turned an eight ball into almost a quarter ounce. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah, stupid as hell, you know, like, uh, but that was late, you know, further in my progression when I really stopped giving a shit about anything but me, right? Like, I, I no longer really cared what people thought of me. I would, you know, if I could go to, you know, for a weekend out at a fucking friend's place in a town where I never go, I would pull some stupid shit like that and try to sell, get all the, sell it all out there. So, cause I'd be like, I'm never going to see them people again. Not thinking that, you know, you're probably going to be out here fucking visiting again someday. Cause they're your friends, mm. right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about shit except right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's. It, I think back to those days. Like, damn, I was in a dream or something. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's almost like a dream. Yeah. I, I can't believe that I did what I did to myself. And uh, I used to hear people early on saying, if somebody did me the way I did myself, I'd kill them. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, right. yeah. I, Totally can relate, man. Yeah, you know, like when I got in recovery, I heard a couple friends from back in the day telling me that some of the most traumatic experiences of their life were like when they'd come to visit me and they'd end up getting subjected to watching me spike in my veins, you know, for like, you know, they'd stay the night or something. So they'd just be watching me do this shit all night over and over. And I just... I wasn't thinking about it. I thought it was fun. You know, I just thought I was having fun. I didn't even think it never occurred to me that like some people get uncomfortable around needles and shit. Yeah. Yeah. When I came out as as shooting dope, um, I just start pulling it out in front of everybody. I mean, I figured, Hey, y'all snorting it. You over there smoking it. So what's the problem? (laughs) I was the only one shooting it though. And they would just look at me like, damn, the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I remember I used to look down my nose at people who smoked it because I'd be like, you guys waste your life on the couch. It takes me like two two minutes to do it. And then I'm like getting shit done, you know, but that again, 
once it takes a once shit goes sideways and it takes a weird turn and things start getting really weird you ain't getting shit done no more you know like all the all the like you know i'm doing air quotes here like the benefits of any drug uh those kind of go away pretty quick into using and then you know then we've developed a physical dependence or whatever and it's like you're just doing it to do it you know or you're doing it to maintain and you know it doesn't work the way that it did in the beginning for long i don't think it never it didn't in my experience anyway but nobody ever tells you that shit (laughs) no they don't let you figure it out for yourself and it's unfortunate. I mean, well, people did warn me about getting off into, especially in the shooting. But you know, they're they're addicts too, so right. they can get some dope and or if that if they if I need their help in in hooking it up, then the better for them. Yeah, but it wasn't like I was listening anyway. No, hell no. I wasn't <laughs> trying to hear none of that shit. <clears throat> And it's not, nah, and you know, I was pretty smart, and it's kind of tough being smart when you got a disease in it and you're thinking because I would come up with some really bright ideas. <laughs> and my bright idea was well, you're snorting a hundred dollars a day, maybe if you shoot it, you won't be shooting a hundred dollars a day, yeah. And that's what made me decide to start shooting drugs. I'll save money. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, I save I'll money. Save money. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of days later, I'm shooting a hundred dollars a day now. So yeah, and it just went like that until um I fell off from having dope like that, and and now I'm hustling. I'm, I'm running around hustling, trying to come up with some, some drug money, right? To keep that habit going. But it's like me and my bright ideas. Yeah, man, it's like they Biggie even said, never get high on your own supply. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and crack commandment number four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got it. Love it. And, See, uh, that's I, refreshing, you know, man, because most people, you know, I work with a lot of younger kids and I I I quote movies, like I quote old songs and shit. And the, like it seems like nobody understands my references anymore. So thank you, Vince, for understanding my fucking reference. Right. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> it goes right over their head. Yeah. It does, dude. They look at you like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, damn. Y'all missed out. They missed no, for out. real. They missed out on the good shit. For real. Yeah, yeah that was my song too. Oh yeah, and, and I knew that song backwards and forwards, and yet I still got a high on my own supply. Yeah, in fact, I think I broke all those rules. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's funny as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. So you uh, you were just hustling, and what what kind of what kind of dirt did you start getting into? doing when you were out there running the streets trying to just keep the monkey fed man i i was um somebody turned me on to taking people's tags off their cars and selling them 
Oh, wow. And that was pretty lucrative, man. I was tearing up all the cars in the neighborhood. And uh, eventually it would have caught up to me because I'm sure somebody would have, because I'd be at the gas station. I'm sure somebody who lost their license plate because I took it <laughs> yeah. would be at the um, gas station like, where did you get that from? <clears throat> hmm. But uh, not too long after that, I ended up going to jail. So it was it was that hustle. Um, a little bit before that, I would hit up all the uh, local stores. I would go in and, and steal all their batteries and come sell them to the liquor stores in the neighborhood. Or uh, it was Infamil when we had a car. We would go get the Infamil. Or, um, my homeboy, he started stealing alcohol. I never got into that one. I think by that time I had gotten clean. <clears throat> yeah. But uh yeah, it, it was getting pretty rough trying to keep up that habit every day, having to commit some new crime. Yeah. And uh I, I did it for like, I don't know, four or five months before I went back to jail, got a rescue. <laughs> So, like, getting put in jail was like rescuing you? Is that what you're saying? Or? Yeah. Okay. I was like, it kind of seemed like you got cut off. I almost thought it froze or something for a second. <laughs> yeah, getting um, getting arrested was, in fact, that was my bottom. Um, the realization that I couldn't stop unless I went back to jail. And that, that realization was depressing as hell. It was like, damn, I can't stop unless I go back to jail. Damn. And then I hit a few corners and ran into the police. <laughs> no shit. Uh, but, you know, I remember I was um, talking to my cousin and, and at this time my retina was detached and that was a painful process too. <clears throat> like, I'm talking about those comas that you go in after being up for like three or four days. Mm-hmm. It would wake me up out of that. <clears throat> and my eye would just be throbbing and I would just be sitting there crying. Like I couldn't, I couldn't really move. I couldn't by open my other eye that was working. Uh, it would move the other eye and it would hurt really bad. <clears throat> it was excruciating. And uh I could not make it to the hospital. Mm. And so I remember um waking up, me and my cousin, we were going to hit another lick. And just on our way there, I was just feeling really down this day. I was just like, man, I'm just, I'm no good, man. I'm just a piece of shit. I'm just out here existing. Is this it for me for the rest of my life forever? Like, uh, I'm no good to my kids, no good to my family, mm. no good even to the streets. I'm just in the way. I might as well be dead. And uh, my cousin, he was like, don't, you know, he, he's like, yeah, I feel you, but but don't worry about it. Um, we'll turn ourselves in tomorrow. And we had been saying that for like a month. Right. We'll turn ourselves in tomorrow. Because he, he was on the run from probation. I was on the run from parole. And then that's when I realized tomorrow is never going to come. Yeah. And I'm just going to be doing this forever. <laughs> I'm like, man, 
I just want in that moment, I just want to die. I just disappear, be off the face of the earth. Like, what am I here for? I'm just in the way. And yeah, I got uh, arrested that day. Um, because I, you know, I knew I, I couldn't turn myself in. I, I just could not do it. <laughs> I could not do it. I mean, because at any time I could have done it. I could have just went to the parole office and been like, I'm here. You know, I was right. already right. absconded and they were looking for me. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> yeah. But, so, you know, the fuck that we don't want to even even if we have it in our heart, the desire to like just to end all this fucking prolonged misery you know stop prolonging it just fucking go uh it's still too scary it's like once you start to get to that point where you're about to do it it, i feel like then i felt like a you know like a cat backed in a corner you know like a fucking just jet i would i would mean it when i said i wanted to turn myself in but i would jet i would jet when it came down to the moment you know Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, yeah I'll, fuck I'll that. I ain't ready. I ain't ready. I ain't ready. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll, we'll put it off to tomorrow. <laughs> but the only thing tomorrow never comes. Uh, and that's why we do just for today. Gotta do it just for today. Yeah. Um, but the flip side, I was able to use that to quit smoking. I was able to just put it off to tomorrow. I'm going to get that put packed. I'm going to get a whole pack and smoke the whole thing tomorrow. <laughs> it just kept putting it off. Dude, you know what? Actually, I remember you telling me that uh, when we met in Vegas. And because I was talking about how I need to quit this shit, you know, because I was smoking then still. But, yeah, I did quit. dude. I'm coming up on like in a couple of days of like three months since I've had a cigarette or a chew. <laughs> hmm. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. That was the that was the biggest one. Um but I like that. I like that though. I'll I'll get I'll get cigarettes tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that uh, I swear it really worked. I mean, I would have cravings really bad and I worked in construction at the time and everybody smoked, same like Yeah. So I'm at lunchtime trying to eat and I'm smelling this cigarette smoke and I'm like, damn, I want to, I want a cigarette. And then I would just have to put it off. Like, okay, I'm going to get a pack after work. And then after work would come and I kind of forget about it. Cause now I'm in traffic trying to right. get home. And when it would come again, I just put it off. I just kept putting it off into the future. Well, that makes sense though, because they say the cravings only last what like three minutes. So, if you're like, you know, this craving so strong, like hell yeah, I'm gonna get some. But if I'm still craving them, like if I'm still craving them like this in the morning, I'll go get some. And you ain't gonna be craving the shit <laughs> by then. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! Oh, it's really genius. Yep, I like it. Yep, I just kind of stumbled on that one, but it, it worked. It, it really worked. Nice. And I, I needed something because, yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I needed to quit, man. Right. And uh, I, I'm glad I did. <clears throat> now the miracle has happened. I, I can't stand cigarette smoke. <laughs> for real? Yeah. For years, like for a decade, I, I, 
I would just be around people smoking and just because I wanted to smell it and I enjoyed the smell of it. And then uh, I started talking to this girl who was smoking and it was just disgusting. And I was just like, (laughs) put that shit out. (laughs) Right. I'm all in her house still to put it out. In fact, let me just leave. And, And so she, you know, she would have to put her cigarettes away and put the uh the ashtrays away and, and then <laughs> she would try and smoke before I got there, but when I get there, I smell the smoke and I'm just like, ugh, this shit's yeah. nasty. <laughs> and and it's been like that ever since. So I've returned back to what I originally was because I think we all thought cigarette smoke was disgusting until we started smoking. Yeah, for real, dude. I remember <laughs> taking my mom's cigarettes and they could, throwing them in the toilet and she'd get mm. pissed. You know, I think yeah. I was like five or some shit, you know, it's like <laughs> quit smoking, mommy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she wasn't having that. She didn't like it, but I was like, I I swore I would never do it. And then you know, started Damn, smoking imagine. when I was 11. <laughs> oh, you started smoking? When yeah, you when I was 11, yeah. Damn. You I, know, see, I, I think I, I wasn't too much older, younger. I was about, what, I mean, uh, older, I was about 13. Yeah, first time I stuck a needle in my arm, I was 13. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was like I ran away from home and met this guy on the street. And he was like, what are you doing out here? Because I was in a pretty shitty part of Minneapolis, you know, south side. And he's like, you can't just be walking the streets out here by yourself, dude. And he's asking me, like, about who's who am I with, you know, where they at? And I'm, like, telling him I ran away. And so he brought me with him to this fucking place. And it ended up being, like, a fucking, you know, heroin den or whatever the fuck, you know, just like a shooting gallery house. And I fucking lied to these motherfuckers in there. And I told them I did it before. I do it all the time. I was like smooth talked them into giving me some and shit. And yeah. Fucking. Damn at 13. I couldn't imagine. You know, just, <clears throat> wa- just watched them for a while and then did what I seen them do. I had really plump yep. veins, so it wasn't even hard. Yep. Super easy, actually. Yep, that, that's how it was for me. Crazy. Yeah, I just sat in the shooting gallery and watched them. Yep. And uh, and I think I asked one of them to, to hit me. Um, in fact, it was a girl who she was about my age. Um, she's clean now, and I used to have a crush on her and all that. But she she got on drugs real bad, and um, she would be in that shooting gallery, and and that's when I learned she was shooting dope too, mm-hmm. and uh. Yeah, I, I asked her to hit me. She's like, nah, I ain't going to do it. She's like, you got to ask somebody else. I, I ain't helping you with that. She already knew I snorted. And so I just was sitting watching and watched the other people coming in and then just did it on my own. <clears throat> I don't know where I got the um, the needle from, but I think I stole it from this lady who I sell dope to who was a diabetic. And just went and did it and was like, okay, this wasn't too bad. <laughs> but uh, I, I was uh, scared, so it was really watered down. <clears throat> I didn't want to OD. <laughs> right. And uh, I remember that first time. And then uh, 
that wasn't too bad. So I did a little bit more and then that wasn't too bad. And I, I liked it. I liked the rush of it and, yeah. and it was on and I was on and running from there. Yeah. That shit. It's crazy, man. I remember telling people like, don't do it. It's a trap. You know, like it's, you fucking open that box. That's like opening Pandora's box, you know, like it's going to have to run its course. You don't know, you know, people think they can just do it, you know, just see what it's like and try it one time. And it ain't never like that in my, in my experience, I've never seen that, you know, unless they did OD and it scared the shit out of them. Mm. But either way, man, like that shit, Fuck, I I think back and I'm just like, dude, I'm super surprised that I got as deep as I did and that I felt as stuck in that lifestyle as I did because of the things I've found in recovery, right? Like to know that there's more to life and that a lot of the way that I felt when I felt depressed, when I felt down, when I felt self-loathing and all these things that I, negative things that I felt in my addiction, a lot of them were, you know, I created those feelings because I was keeping a lot of secrets. They were fucking me up. Mm-hmm. You know, I was doing shady shit and it was fucking me up. And it's like just the simple things of like, getting honest and holding yourself accountable, taking responsibility for your part and shit like that just lifted such an immense amount of weight off of me. And that was, those were like the first very simple steps that I took in, in my recovery journey that left me feeling almost like I was floating, bro. Like I, I felt free already or like freedom could be possible. You know what I mean? And it was, it blew my damn mind because it was the type of shit where it was like, oh, I would never, I would never admit. And then I just was to that point where I was either going to drive this knife through my neck or I was going to say, you know, I need help. And that was the first thing dude told me. It was like, you need to fucking come clean, you know, get, get these secrets off of your chest, man, because they're fucking you up. And he was right. It actually took me out of a psychosis, you know, like just getting honest. All of a sudden I wasn't in psychosis anymore. Then I was just high all day. Finally got to sleep it off. And then I was starting my recovery road. I never did shit, stick a needle in my arm again. You know, I, I mean, that was the result of work. Right. But that was a very profound experience for me just to get honest for a fucking minute in my life. You know, mm-hmm. I just felt the weight lift to just lift. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing that it happens like that because you would think, I mean, well, I thought that I was protecting myself by keeping these secrets. Right. But internalizing all of that was, was killing me, killing me slowly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us go through that. And, you know, it came up in the era of, was done in the home, stays in the home, nothing leaves his house, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Children are to be seen and not heard and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of dysfunction in that, in the in those uh 
you know, those customs, I guess, for right. lack of a better word, <clears throat> that we had that they kept us all sick. Yep. That's why, you know, uncle was on dope, my dad was on dope, my mother, like everybody's using with all these secrets and carrying all this stuff and in pain and not having a way to release or deal with it. Yeah. Yep. I know. It's like everything I've learned in this journey of recovery really laughed in the face of what I was taught growing up or, Mm -hmm. you know, even, even if they didn't mean to teach me that, you know, it would just be like when you try to talk about your feelings and then you'd end up getting yelled at or, Mm. or, or it would be super awkward and they wouldn't know what to say. And so what does that teach you? It teaches you like there ain't no point in trying to like talk about this shit anyway. You know, yeah. But either way, dude, we found it. We found the way out that worked for us. You know, individually, and I'm grateful we did. When you were, yeah. when you were doing all that time, and you, what would you think was the? I think you maybe had mentioned it already when you were speaking a little bit ago. But uh, what do you think was like the moment or the catalyst that really? Um, began that process of uh, trying to learn to find it somehow a better way to live. Like what was your breaking point? Um, the breaking point was sitting, I was sitting in, in prison again and I hit another bottom um, where at this time I became affiliated with a prison gang and got the word that we all got to come to the yard because some shit happened in another dorm. This is my first time in the dorm in the prison setting. And so I wasn't used to that. And so um, some stuff had happened in, in another dorm between the black guy and the northern Mexican. And, um, you know, some of the prison politics, the blacks and the northern Mexicans ride together, the whites and the southern Mexicans ride together. So I'm in a southern dorm um, where some racial stuff had popped off and they got rid of all the blacks and the whites and then they bring us in. And like the first day, it was going to go down over the TV. So it was just, it was really uncomfortable being in, in this, this situation. And then um, I became affiliated my last stint in prison. So now I'm connected to this prison gang. So if something pops off, I got to participate whether I want to or not, whether I had anything to do with it. <laughs> and so some stuff popped off and uh, where this black dude heard a, um, a Northern Mexican shot caller real bad. And they, you know, they had to save face. They was like, if something, if he dies, it's on. And it's like, oh, my God, these are supposed to be our allies. And we, we about to go to war with them over a T-shirt. This shit was over a damn T-shirt. And I was just sitting on my bunk thinking about that, like, wow, what you didn't got yourself into now. So tomorrow's going to come. You got to go to the yard. It's going to pop off if this dude dies. And uh, you don't have no knife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... You're going to be out there with your hands um, trying to avoid getting stabbed and and ain't no telling what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And then I started thinking about what I was doing before I came to prison again. And I was just like, I, I was, it was, it was that same day I was talking to my cousin feeling useless and I was homeless and yeah. eating out of garbage cans. And I was just like, man, I got, this is, <laughs> this is for the birds, man. I can't do this. I can't keep doing this mm. in and out of jail. What am I going to be doing this for the next 40 years? And I had seen dudes in there who had been doing this for the past 40 years in and out. Like jail was their home away from home, if not their home. Right. And so I'm like, damn, I'm going to be like that if I don't die tomorrow. <laughs> so I'm just like, I got to do something else. And uh, for the first time, I reached back out to God and and. But not on my behalf. I was praying that nothing happened to this this shot caller. Right. And uh, <laughs> nothing. I want shit to pop off. Yeah, he he ended up surviving or whatever, and and so they just uh they sent somebody at the the dude who um who hurt him, and then got him off the yard, and then we just kind of squashed it from there, but. It just let me know that, man, stuff could pop off over nothing <clears throat> and I'm going to get caught up in it. Mm -hmm. And I put myself in this position because my ass is in prison and I'm affiliated. Like I went all these times in and out of prison and chose not to be connected to any prison gangs or anything. And and uh, I don't know what happened, like two stints, two violations I did. They had me in with shot callers of these prison gangs, um, two different ones. And they was like really pitching, <laughs> trying to recruit me. And I, I didn't know at the time that that's what they were doing. They was just like talking about their affiliation and, you know, this is what it's about and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I, I ended up choosing one of them and, you know, they, they pitched it real good. Like it's a, it's a community thing and, you know, but I, I should have known better. I was a little naive <clears throat> to believe that. Like we we ain't community in here in jail. <laughs> We're a prison gang here in jail. Right. So um, so anyway, I get out and and uh so that situation worked itself out. I get out, I get out with newfound um fire up under my ass to do something different with my life. Like I can't keep going this route. And uh, I don't know what I need to do, but I know it need to be different than what I've been doing. Hmm. And what did I do? As soon as I get out, I go use. <laughs> I, I relapse because um, I didn't know no better. But, uh, you know, some of the seeds have been laid that previous um, time that I was out. I went to treatment for the first time. I went to a detox for the first time. And uh, I have been exposed to 12 step groups for the first time. So an H&I and that type of stuff. Yeah. So um, I get out and uh, best thing, best decision I made was to go to this this halfway house. It was in my neighborhood um, on the turf. It, it's funny because I it, it's the dope spot where I would get dope from was like right down the street. And then where I lived at was up the street. <laughs> and so um, I would pass this place all the time. <laughs> and. And in the end, I would go in this place. It was called the East Oakland Recovery Center. I would go in there and um, 
because I couldn't make it all the way home. I stayed, you know, this place was deep in the flatlands. I stayed up the hill. So I was stopping the East Oakland recovery. I didn't know what it was. <clears throat> I don't know what recovery was. So I was just like, they got a bathroom in there. Um, in fact, <laughs> I wouldn't stop here. I would stop at the uh, wash house. But the one time I, I I had some dope and wanted to use it, somebody was in that wash house, probably nodded off and OD'd or something. And so I'm like, screw it. So I go looking for another place to use a bathroom and I run into the East Oakland Recovery Center and they got a bathroom. And what did I do? I go in there, shoot some dope and OD. Oh, wow. And uh, I'm in there for like three hours. Um, it, it was the only bathroom <laughs> for staff and, and, uh, and, and clients alike. And they had been banging on the door. I didn't hear anything. And then I finally came to, woke up gather myself uh like needle was still in my arm that that type of od yeah um and i come up out of there and they looking at me crazy like the hell is wrong with you that type of thing and so anyway when i get out this next time and uh they suggest in places i go they they suggest this place called basin east it's no longer around but um so i'm like okay and they tell me where it's at and i'm like okay i know that area and uh, and then when I show up, it's the East Oakland Recovery Center. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, oh shit! And I'm thinking this is it only happened like nine months prior. I'm like, are they gonna recognize me or what? Uh, yeah, but they didn't. Um, they they uh signed me up for the program. The halfway house was above the center, and so I stayed there for the next six months, and that's where it started. Um that six months turned into two years because I rolled over into another program called Midway, which was a county program. And uh, with the East Oakland Recovery Center being down at the bottom, um, they had 12-step groups there. And so I I didn't initially start going to the 12-step groups. I would go to my mandatory mandated meeting, basin meetings. But I wasn't really getting nothing out of those meetings because it'd be just check-in base and it'd be like, hi, you know, I'm Vince. I'm, I'm cool. I'm out with that. <laughs> and they was letting that ride. Right. They was letting us get away with that. And, um, and they didn't really have no topics or nothing to focus the conversation. And, you know, some people would talk, but they would just, it wouldn't really be about nothing because none of us had recovery. Uh, we was just all kind of just being clean because we were forced to be clean. So um, the way I started going back to to the 12 step group, because I, I knew they had them, but, you know, I wasn't trying to be in meetings all day at the time. So uh, but I ran into my homie, man. This is a homie I've known from teenage uh, from when I started using, like every drug I ever used, uh, I would do it with him. And he was like Mikey; he'll, he'll try anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> I let him do the drugs first. If he yeah, the life convulsions, the, the life cereal commercials. See? Yes, <laughs> we know we know each other's references, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we are that age. <laughs> So I, I would let him go first, and he, he, you know, he was a lot bolder than me. And um, 
And then if he didn't die and go into convulsions, I go ahead and get me some. So <laughs> that was the nature of our relationship. So uh, I, I turned him on to shooting dope, though. In fact, mm-hmm. I turned him on to snorting dope, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like smoking weed and drinking and popping pills and that kind of stuff. We kind of did together. But with these harder drugs, that was something that I was doing on um, with, with another group of people. And so, so anyway, when he seen me, you know, he was like a trigger for me and he was still using and he was like, I got some dope. So I ended up relapsing with him. But uh, in order to use the dope, I had to go sit in his class and he was going to the 12 step groups to get his card signed or whatever. And so somewhere in there, I, I, between nines, I heard something that that kept me coming to the 12 step groups. Cause I, I was getting a lot more from that than the check-in meetings. Yeah. And that's kind of where it started for me, man. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think he got violated. So I didn't see him around and I needed him removed. I feel like God did that. Cause I don't right. know if I could have got clean with him around. He's still using to this day. Like he's on methadone. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. dude, you on methadone on maintenance methadone like he i'm like man you know that tear your body up we used to see the people coming to get their dose and they'd be hunched over because that methadone tears your body up right here he is he's been on it for years and i've been clean for years and he knows i've been clean for years he's seen my life change he's seen my degrees on the wall he's seen me in the same apartment it's my apartment i've been here for 18 years, damn near 20 years now. <clears throat> wow. And so he knows that it's possible, but he doesn't want it. Right. So, you know, if a person doesn't want it, they're not going to get it. Now that's all it is to it. And so I'm, I'm just glad that I, I wanted it. Yeah. And I, I've been able to do a whole lot, man. I've been able to, I had another child clean and I've been in his life from day one and been able to be in my daughter, my son's life. Um, that I had my addiction and had grandchildren. I've been able to go back to school. I've been able to get a trade up under my belt, been able to work and be a responsible, productive member of society, man. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just hope that, you know, folks who are, um, who think this life is boring, this is like the total opposite of boring. Cause I, I did come in young and was like, damn, I'm about to, in my life, man, I'm never going <laughs> to have fun again. It's going to be a boring life. And it's been nothing but, man, I've been to a lot of events, um, a lot of a lot of stuff, <clears throat> whether they were recovery events or, or non-recovery events. I've been to several graduations and birthday parties and, and um, uh, oh, I forget what you call it when you have um the gender reveals and, and uh, baby showers and marriages. And I DJ now, so I'm, I'm DJing people's events and yeah, life hasn't been born. And even with having a peaceful life without a bunch of drama, I'm really enjoying that. I could just stay home and just watch TV, watch some Netflix Right. Watch cable news. That's my new drug of choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
it, it'll manifest in different ways, bro. It really does. It really does. I'll be up late trying to catch up on the news. So, you know, uh, but, you know, I've been been all kind of stuff clean and, and I get to remember what happened. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't forget. I knew who I slept with when I went to the club that night. Right. And uh, don't have any more of those stories where I was so pissy drunk. I was kissing on tongue kissing a, a dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't want to say it like that, but like you come to it, you're like, oh, my God, we were doing what? Yeah. I don't have those stories no more. Been there. <laughs> really good, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. And it's crazy because it's like, you know, you, I love how you said, you know, if, if you're out there listening and you think that like this life's going to be boring or some shit, it's like, I used to think that. And it wasn't until I finally started to hang out and talk to some people. Cause when I started going to meetings, I would show up like five minutes late and leave five minutes early. I didn't want to get to know anybody. And I sure as hell didn't want them to know me. I didn't trust none of these fucking people. But then when I started talking to people, you know, they would be like heading to Perkins and then they'd be like, you should come. And I'd be like, nah, man, I ain't got no money, dude. You know, like kicking rocks and shit, looking all pathetic and trying to say no. And they'd be like, no, nah, man, get in the car. You're coming with, dude. I got this. And it it was those those moments of fellowshipping with with people and having them stick their you know their arm out and say come on with us dude and i was just like man i start to just realize like what they were about because i didn't really believe that recovery was a thing until i was like see the see the change happening and and then I got to start to be the one that's, you know, inviting them out and these newcomers mm-hmm. and shit. And it's just like the way that we act out there in public, the laughs, dude, and some of the craziest shit that we say, because we're all still, you know, just as fucked up as we were before, you know, like, or we're just crazy motherfuckers, you know? So, <laughs> so. You have a hell of a lot of fun is what I'm getting at. You you do. And you're just like, you know, especially, dude, some of that laughter is like some next level shit compared to any laughter you had when you were getting high. Because it's just like belly laughs, you know, and like Mm -hmm. my fucking cheeks hurt and shit. Like, I'm going to piss my pants type shit. Yeah. Yeah. So it ain't boring. No. It It definitely ain't boring. And we're still just a bunch of crazy ass people. We just, you know, we're we're clean now. Yep. <laughs> so I always try to remind people that you know how it's how cool it is that we can find joy again, and mm-hmm. and, we, and and you know it's like I always remember when I would try to turn people down for trying to help me is like one of my buddies early on said something to me he said you know bro sometimes you get to be of service and sometimes you get to be the service opportunity so let them fucking help you because it makes them feel good you know mm-hmm. really changed the way that i perceived that when people were offering me help i stopped 
saying no all the time or trying to like really shoot that down, you know, like fucking a suit up, show up, go with, if somebody wants to pay for your dinner, go with, you might have fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hell yeah. 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 I, I can agree that. Um, Cause I, I've been the, on the receiving end of that. I'm trying to help someone and they, they're rejecting it for whatever reason. And and I, I've been the the one that did the rejecting, mm-hmm. and uh and I, I see where I mean like give me an opportunity to give back, <laughs> to, right. like so many have given given to me, and and I'm appreciative of yeah. what they've done for me, and um you know you want to show that appreciation by paying it forward, <clears throat> and then somebody like no I don't want it <laughs> right. Yeah, it does sting a little like, oh, well, damn. Okay. Well, and that's that pride fucking with you. And it's like, you know, the ego needs to be smashed anyway. So you're really, you're not only helping that other person by giving them a chance to, you know, be of service and help you out, make them feel good. But you're also helping yourself because you're slowly chipping away at that fucking ego. The ego is not your amigo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that one. I'm gonna steal that one. The ego Go ahead. Is not your amigo. <laughs> Use it with your friends, dog. I'm telling you, it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I learned that from a guy who Omar Pinto. He used to do the share podcast, and now he has the it's OPC, the Omar Pinto Coaching Podcast. He changed change too but yeah he's awesome if you never listen to a shit if you like podcasts check him out okay dude is awesome uh he's got a lot of little gems like that bro it's like yeah. damn like that yep put it in my pocket and i bust it out time to time yeah 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 i mean because we say here the ego is not your friend so <laughs> i like oh, how dude. that rhymes <laughs> yeah exactly it just sounds mm-hmm. better it rolls right off your tongue yep <laughs> <laughs> He's from yeah. Costa Rica, so I don't know if that, but I know he grew up in Cali, so, but I don't think it, I don't know, man. I'm not really sure what part of uh, California, I can't remember, but yeah. Don't know where he got it, but maybe it wasn't from your area if they don't say that. Mm-mm. No, they, they say the ego's not your friend, and, and that's true. That's true. Ego got me in a lot of trouble, and it'll keep me in trouble. Yep. If I allow it to come up, even today, oh yeah, I can have all these years clean, and my ego tell me I don't need no help. I don't need uh, because you got less time than me. You can't help me, and that that type of attitude. In fact, I've seen a lot of old timers when I was coming up with that attitude. Mm-hmm. That uh, I don't want to say they relapse or anything. Although some have, I, I've seen people with 20, 25 years, thirty years relapse. Mm-hmm. and it's a trip how that ha- like how does that happen like how can you get that much time and experience this life on this side for so long and then decide to just throw it all away yeah you gotta be crazy you gotta be out of your mind because <clears throat> I, I can't see myself ever relapsing again god forbid uh, we do it one day at a time but right man i, I love this life like, why would I want to throw this away? I've done so much. I've accomplished so much that I never could do when I was using, when I had to. I mean, my day is so full. I couldn't even imagine adding 
finding ways and means to get some dope. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, where does that even fit in at? Uh, I'm going yeah. to pencil in some time for that. <laughs> well, no, nah, because that shit becomes your schedule. Like, exactly. it takes over, you know. If you think, oh, I'll just do it on, on a Friday or Saturday night once in a while. For for a guy like me, that ain't that ain't even a thing, dude. It turns into a you know twenty four seven fucking run around hustling my ass off to get what I can and shit. Screw that. Mm-hmm. Like I work my ass off in recovery and you know in my professional life and just in my personal life and in my recovery program, but it's like. I ain't exerting anywhere near the energy I used to exert into maintaining my habit or, you know, whatever the case, whatever I was chasing, you know, a lot of times it was girls, you know, so it's like you put a lot of, I, I used to compromise a lot of my morals for the, for the females that I, that I desired, you know, and do I'd turn back on, like stupid shit like i'm not gonna shoot up no more until you know i had to do it so i could hang out (laughs) just just to try to get some or whatever and it's like why i don't know just self what did you say it's like selfish self-centered uh thinking Mm. and behavior like you want you want it you're willing to pretty much do whatever you got to do to get it and that's just a complete impulse control problem is what i got but now i try to apply it to good shit you know as much as i can so vince i got some rapid fire questions here uh that we close with you you down yeah ready you ready for this all right First one, we think that uh, regular routines are really important for maintaining, uh, you know, strong, sustainable recovery. So what does your daily recovery routine consist of? Mm, Good one. Um, Prayer and meditation, but not um, like I don't pray as soon as I wake up and fall on my knees type of deal. It's like throughout the day, uh, remaining God conscious, I find myself um, getting into my feelings or getting angry or, or, or something comes up that, I, that I'm powerless over, uh, getting to that prayer and, and, and meditation mode. And that's just something over the years I've developed the habit of um, but I haven't developed the one when I first thing when I wake up, give thanks and pray and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we could do this however, whatever way works for us. And that, that seems to work for me. Yeah, totally, man. Like I'm, I've heard people say, you know, first thing I do when I wake, open my eyes in the morning is I hit my knees, you know, and it's like, that ain't me either. But when I notice that I'm feeling some type of way, or I'm getting overwhelmed or I'm getting pissed off or whatever it might be. I I've learned to give myself a time out, you know, and 
and at, and just talk to God, man, and then have a couple moments of silence. And guess what? Almost invariably, it always turns my attitude around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just welcome him in because he's right there with you, though, all the time. But you still need to be like, hey, you know, can you use a little help here? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think sometimes we'd be off and running trying to handle the shit on our own. Yeah. You know, and we don't even realize it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Until those feelings come, then it's like, oh, oh, I'm out here uh, running the world by myself again. Exactly, dude. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got to bang my head against that wall about 100 times before I learn the lessons. Usually, that's how it goes. Um, what is a book? Or a piece of literature that has had the biggest impact on your recovery? That would be um, the Narcotics Anonymous, It Works How and Why book. That, that book was pretty thorough help in helping me understand about like the disease of addiction and the recovery process and the spiritual principles. Um I would say that that's the biggest, that's the book that had the biggest impact on me. Hell yeah. It's wonderful. And next question, what is the best piece of advice that you think you've ever received? Um, the best advice, one day at a time, breaking this down into one day at a time. Cause uh, my problem a big problem I and a lot of us, a lot of addicts have is that we future trip and we all in tomorrow or yesterday. Mm. And um and so learning how to stay in just today and stay in just this moment. Yeah. And breaking off the day into chunks into more bite sizable um chunks that I could deal with instead of just trying to take on the whole day as a whole. Right. which would overwhelm me. And then I, I just not want to do it at all. <laughs> Getting high yeah. would, would be uh, one way to help me just say, fuck it. Fuck it all. I ain't doing none of this. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of just do what was right in front of you. Right. So I would probably say that do what's right in front of you. Do what's right in front of you. But do, do what's right in front of you. Okay. Finish that, do the next thing that's in front of you. All right. I got a gem because you said something in that that reminded me of this little saying that, you know, because you were talking about future tripping or living in the past. Uh, So I just feel like I need to tell you because maybe this will be another one you're going to use with your friends. (laughs) If I got one foot in tomorrow and one foot in yesterday, I'm pissing all over today. Uh, yeah, I heard that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. <laughs> I mean, you can visually see that. Like, yeah, dude, that's what makes me <laughs> laugh about that fucking one. Or there's another one that's similar where it's like, don't put me on a pedestal because if you do, I'll piss all over you. <laughs> and I just picture <laughs> myself standing up on this thing, pissing on you. Right. Uh, I don't know why it's just funny to me, but. <clears throat> It's Damn. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm a plethora of useless information, Vince. I got I got like all this whole treasure trove of little one-liners and shit. And I, I just try to regurgitate them to the best of my ability. It's nothing 
I'm, I don't really spit much original uh, words, honestly. It's all stuff that I've heard, man, and learned and that stuck with me. And I keep it close, you know, keep it close to my heart and try to fucking apply it to my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So next question, what is the greatest challenge that you have had in your recovery? Hmm. Um, I would say, and I didn't speak about this as I was going over my life, uh, when my wife left me Mm. and I didn't have, she was carrying the household basically because I had lost my job. And this is while I was clean. I lost my job and, um, in construction, I was electrician and this was during the great recession. And so I um, lost my job, didn't have any of the uh, unemployment ran out. So I was contributing what I could. I would give her some money out of that. But once the unemployment ran out and she was carrying the household, she left. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my life could have went a whole bunch of different ways. And uh but it didn't. Grace of God, I by that time I had already worked the steps twice, I think. Um, had a relationship with God, and I was able to make it through that. But and it, it sent my life in a totally new direction, too. But because I had that relationship with God, I wasn't resistant to it. I just kind of flowed with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's really instructive, though, too, because, you know, we can get clean and we can be walking this journey and we can be of service and we can be learning and growing and all these things and applying shit. But, you know, we're still human. We're still fallible. We're still going to make mistakes along the way. You know, we're still we're still people that are emotional creatures and maybe we you know, lose a job for a while and it's just fucking maybe you get kind of fall into a depression or, you know, anything can happen. And we, the best, I don't know, the best comfort that I think I could give anybody with that is just to say that, you know, we do have this gift of self-awareness because we are clean and because we've been doing work on ourselves where we can spot it, you know, maybe catch it in time, you know, before it gets real bad, but sometimes, you know, it'll drag out, you know, like maybe, and and things will happen or, or life's just going to come at you too. You could be doing everything right. And your fucking wife could have decided to leave your ass. You know what I mean? So it's like, we just have the tools to deal with stuff, but we're still going to have to deal with stuff and we're still going to struggle from time to time, we're still going to have issues arise. That's the nature of life. You know, that's the way it is. So that does sound hard though. That sounds like it was really hard, man. Oh yeah. In the moment it was, uh, it was pretty, it was, it was kind of scary, but I had a close enough relationship with God that I was able to just put it all off on, on the God of my understanding Mm. to where, I didn't have too much anxiety and because usually that anxiety is what leads me to do something stupid. Yeah. It'll lead me to try and just make something happen. 
Right. Um, instead of trying to make something happen, I just decided to just not do nothing. Uh, that was something that I didn't even know was an option until I got clean. <laughs> People were like, you don't know what to do. Don't do anything. And right. I pulled that one out the bag. Like, okay, don't do anything. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, unemployment helps with that too, because you can kind of get lulled into some comfort zone shit, you know, and then, oh, now it's run out. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Oh, man. What next question would be, what is your greatest success? Um, My greatest success. I would say it's getting that relationship with God because from that, I was able to do a whole lot of other stuff, mm-hmm. including not lose my mind <laughs> when my wife left me yeah. and, and make the situation worse because I, you know, usually when I'm under that kind of pressure and I had never been in a position where I could not m- keep a job or keep some kind of income coming in for myself. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that being in a recession was a, I didn't even know what a recession was at the time. I was like, what the hell is that? And why is it keeping me from earning a living? And, um, yeah, had I not had that relationship with God, I would have, I would have tried to sell some dope or try to rob somebody or try to do something that, uh, I didn't need to do. That would have just made the situation worse and and could have led to more repercussions. Yep, totally. And one more here that's kind of heavy, and then we'll finish it with a fun one. So what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Mm, Um. That I haven't forgiven myself or someone else for. Let me think about that. I should have already thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do good off the cuff, too. So. Uh, I don't know off the top. Cause I'm I'm not really holding on to things like that. That's a good thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that that is. I mean, cause it would be so corrosive to my, just to myself now in the moment, to my spirit. Mm-hmm. So I try not to um, hold on to stuff and not forgive. Uh, but oh, you know what though? If I gotta say something, I, I will say because I need to work. To, I need to go over the steps again um, behind that situation with my wife leaving because I, I still got a resentment, and I know I do because for years we didn't talk, and when I graduated um, from university and get my master's and stuff, uh, you know, I, I still follow her daughter, and I guess her daughter let her know. Her daughter's my age. Yeah. Um, long story. <laughs> but 
her daughter let her know that I graduated or whatever. So she sent me a friend request. And then, you know, I was looking at that friend request for a minute. I didn't want to do it at first. In fact, before she sent that, she sent me a congratulations. I heard you graduated and so proud of you. I always knew you could do it and all this stuff. And I was just looking at it like, like, yeah, right. You gave up on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, but I, I went on and accepted the request and, and you know, it, it's been strange, but I, I still got, I still have some feelings. So that tells me there's a resentment or some kind of something there. Right. That I need to go through the steps again. So I would say that situation with my wife, I haven't forgiven her. Well, I'll tell you right now, man. And that's why I wrote the question is because it's, it's just a, you know, kind of, it's just something that to think about, you know, like as we were talking about a little bit ago, it's like that recovery is not always going to be a bed of roses, you know, that sometimes we got to work these steps so we can take care of some of these resentments so we can make room for the new ones. Cause there's going to be new ones. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just what it is, man. You know, like this isn't a one and done and everybody tells you that from the beginning, when you get into it, you know, it's like, this is a lifestyle choice and we got to continue to apply these principles to all our affairs. We got to keep working to keep our side of the street clean so that we can live with our head held high and where we can lay our head down on the pillow at fucking night and we can sleep well because we know that we're being the best person that we can be. We're trying to be a better person than we were yesterday, you know, and it's all you can ask of a person in recovery, like, or anyone for that matter, like none of us are perfect and life's not perfect. So I just think it's a really instructive question and it just, it shows like no matter how, because I could have just interviewed, you know, somebody that they just sound like a fucking goddamn, you know, golden God, just like amazing, most perfect human being in the world. Well, guess what? You start asking them a couple probing questions like that, you know, like, where do you struggle? What, you know, what's something you couldn't forgive yourself or someone else for? And you're like, damn, you know, they got some pretty heavy shit that they're carrying around or, or that they've had to walk through. It's like, we all, we all do, you know, it's, you can't be like always judging a book by its cover. Like, Oh, they got it so together. Oh, you know, <laughs> nobody's got it all together. We're all just kind of figuring it out as we go anyway. <laughs> yeah. At least that's how I feel. But, um, no, I like that though. And thanks for uh, searching yourself for that. But I, I, I kind of really, I dug your initial response to it too, because it's so true. I gotta, if I'm feeling resentful, I'm, you know, I might have a fucking hard time letting go of it or getting past it, but sure as hell I'm sitting there the whole time thinking this is just fucking toxic for me. You know, it's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die right now. Like oh. resentment's ugly. Yeah. Ick. Um, last question, but certainly my favorite one is what is a song that symbolizes recovery to you? Uh, I would say, um, spirits by, uh, Gil Scott Heron that symbolizes recovery. Yeah. 
Spirits by Gil Scott Heron. It's it's a pretty dope song. I forget where I heard it from, but I was like, wow. Hell yeah. Every time I hear it, 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 it moves me like uh, I feel that. I'm definitely looking forward to listening to it, bro. Because when I write up the show notes, I'll put it on YouTube, you know, and open another window or whatever and <clears throat> sit there and write and listen to the songs. And I'm not a, I don't think I've heard this one. I definitely know it's not in the way out playlist yet for all you listeners out there in case you forgot or didn't know. Maybe you're new. Maybe you didn't know. But if you go on Spotify, there's a way out playlist. So you could look up the way out podcast and addiction and recovery podcast. Right. And that's got its own thing. And you can look at listen to all these great interviews. But you can also type in the way out playlist. And it's a curated list of songs from our wonderful guests, all, all the picks from all the guests. And it, it's a quite it's an awesome playlist. You might get a little bit of musical whiplash because we have all shapes, sizes, and colors on this show. Lots of different folks who, you know, got a lot of different strokes. So we're like, man, put it all together. I said one day, I'm going to make a playlist, put this shit all together. (laughs) It's like a big recovery playlist, man. And it's pretty dope, dude. I love it. So you guys check that out on Spotify. What? I say, I think that was a great I got to check that out. Yeah, man, you should. I, I love it. It's fun to put it together. And it, it was one of those ideas that was just kind of like, I, I had thought of it a long time ago and I never did nothing about it. And then it was uh, actually in an interview uh, with Jacqueline Brown. It's, I think the episode's called The Harm Reduction Big Sister. You might remember Jacqueline Vince. She was at uh, Mobilize. Okay, but she, she fucking we somehow it came up in conversation. I mentioned it, and then she was like, "Because I had been asking that question for a hot minute, you know, probably almost two years by that point." And I was saying, "I thought about it, kicked around the idea of doing this, and haven't done it yet." And she, she pretty much challenged me and said, "You need to do that, do it." And I was like. Yeah, I'm going to do it. So I actually did. I sat like on my computer for the next hour after that and just fucking went through the backlogs and had to find every, you know, person's song pick and then had a different window open where I was adding them to this playlist and shit. And uh, I just went and looked it up. It's not called the album is called Spirits. The song is called Don't Give Up. Oh, okay. You'll Scott Heron. Gotcha. So it's don't give up. Don't give up. Well, good. I'm glad we figured that out. Yeah, because I pulled up Spears. I'm like, wait a minute. That ain't it. <laughs> and uh, That's the album name, though. All right. Yep. Don't Give Up by Gil Scott Heron. I'm looking forward to listening to it, bro, while I write up these show notes and a uh, brief synopsis of our you know, great conversation that we have had. I I just want to thank you, man, for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on the way out, man. Yeah. I want to thank you too for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Welcome. I told you, man, I told you I'm gonna get you on the show. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Just just took a minute. (laughs) 
Well, all right, you guys out there listening, take care of each other and take care of yourselves. Uh, I hope that you got something out of our conversation we had here today. If you want to reach out to Vincent, I will have his contact information in the show notes and you can definitely do that. We'd like to, you know, if we can reach one and teach one. So we want to be reachable for you uh, as always. And, you know, we're glad to be of service. So Vince, say goodbye to everybody. And all we'll right. See. Goodbye, everybody. I'm glad that you stuck with us throughout this whole thing. And I hope you go check out the song Don't Give Up by Gil Scott Heron. And I appreciate you all for listening. And thank you for allowing me to share. And you guys take care out there. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.